0: Well, good morning. I would highly recommend you do not miss that Taste and See EP this Wednesday. If you miss it, then you miss what you would have gotten if you were there. Do you know that? The outfielder always misses the ball if he's not there. can't catch the ball unless you're on the field. Yeah? Can I go home now then? That work for today? Well, today, after the end of service, we have our Dream Interpretation teams. Um, you don't want to miss that, but Phyllis Miller wrote a book on Doorway to Dreams, Hearing the Voice of God Through Dream Interpretation so you can purchase that over there or it's also in the bookstore but she's going they're going to their teams going to be doing after so if you've had a dream and you want interpret it interpreted I suggest you get on the field and go over there and let them minister to you this morning they're amazing group of people all right well there's so many different ways to go this morning You know, in worship, there was a lot there. I I, I have a one time I think I'm going to do this when God lets me, is have no message planned. No, that's not a good thing. Don't cheer that. You're not the one that's got to come up here and talk. That's the worst nightmare for a speaker. Have nothing planned. No, I'm not going to. Oh, right. Um, moving on. Um, but just see what God's saying during worship and then form a message within 10 minutes and preach it. We'll see if God ever allows me to do that. But I thought about that this morning because there was just so much there. Um, when I walked in this morning, the band, uh, the worship team was just getting started. And I walked in and there was, the room felt extremely clean. And I don't mean like there's times I come in and I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is really dirty. This feels dirty and yucky in here. But there's just, you know, what's God doing? When I walk in here in the mornings, I want to always ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And sometimes it's heavy and weighty. But this morning it was really light and clean. And I knew what, the song list, the worship list of the worship team was today. And when I walked in the room, and it was that super light, clean atmosphere, I'm like, God, how are they going to pull this off? Because the songs they selected are very kind of aggressive, break things apart, break into freedom in a good way. You know, their anthem... Let's get some work done. Let's go to war songs. But that wasn't the atmosphere I walked into. And they did it brilliantly today. Because there's some of us in here that are carrying some really heavy stuff. And there's times when God comes, when Jesus comes along and brings a sledgehammer and breaks it off of you. How many of you have experienced that before? And it's wonderful. And I feel like a lot of us, some of us this this morning came with that heaviness and just hoping God would come along with a sledgehammer and just break it off you. But that's not how he came this morning. He came and wants to just walk by you and just with the flick of his finger switch it to a coat of honey. That he didn't come today with a sledgehammer which he does often, and it's amazing. But today he's coming in a different way. He's coming in his peace that turns your heaviness into sweet honey. So if that's you this morning, you came in with this heaviness of what you're going through, the warfare you're in, circumstances, I just want to pray that sweet honey. If that's you this morning, you have courage enough to stand. I want to pray over you this morning. If that's you this morning. Yeah. So Holy Spirit, come right now. In your sweet honey. As you exchange our coat of heaviness. With a coat of honey. With a coat of peace. So Jesus with your peace. Remove that heaviness. And wash over with your sweet honey. Right now in Jesus name. So as this service continues on. Just start meditating on his sweet honey. Let him just continue to wash over you as I speak this morning. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning about that. So just stay there. He's going to just keep washing that off of you as we go through. Yeah. Well, we've been on a journey of processing Ivan Tate's word from june 12th you guys remember that and then we had the declarations from that so ivan gave these seven points to the, this word that he spoke over the mission and released that here and we've so we've been talking about that right yes good don't get quiet on me the first one was number one was time for being led by fears over Number two, it's time for staying home and away from your root system is over. Number three, season of multiplication is at our door. Number four, season of unnecessary warfare is coming to an end. Number five, nothing has the power to stop the move of the Holy Spirit. Number six, season of filling, not emptying, is upon us. And his glory and his people will occupy the house. And number seven, the last one, no debt can survive in the atmosphere of our generosity. And from those, Dad created declarations that we've been saying, right? Yes. Yes. Just so you know, they are on the website. So if you want to download those, print them off, put them on your fridge or whatever, they're on the website. And we're actually getting cards printed, hopefully to have them here soon for you guys next week, hopefully. So you guys can take those with you. And declare those over your life and your family and your household. So there you go. So today, I want to talk about number four. Season of unnecessary warfare is coming to an end. And this is the declaration we had. We declare that the season of unnecessary warfare is coming to an end. Therefore, the voice of the empowered church will be heard in the land and the giants of opposition will fall. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Unnecessary warfare. How many of you have kids? How many of you have come to realize when you have kids there's a little bit of warfare? And as we learn to be parents, we learn that there's necessary warfare, and then there's unnecessary warfare. There's times when I've come across an issue, and I make it an issue that the kids have done or said or something. I'm like, oh, that, I need to address that now. And I address it, and we go from a house of peace to an absolute chaos because I thought there was something I needed to declare war on and it throws the whole house into chaos and afterwards I'm like what did I do I mean my first reaction is oh these horrible kids how they react to these things what are they thinking gosh I wish they would just grow up is my first response But then I'm like, oh, crap. What did I do? Why did I even make that an issue? It's not even an issue. Why did I do that? And it was unnecessary warfare in the house. And it never produces well. All it does is produce kids that are ready to fight. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are issues... And there are things that you need to go to war with, yeah. Yeah. with your kids. Yep. And it could seem very insignificant. But when the Holy Spirit says, no, that you need to address that, you do it. And so there are things you go... At work, but when everything is a battleground, all you're doing is training your kids to fight you. Because it's unnecessary. Yep. There is certain things that are just unnecessary. And so I, I've, I'm trying to learn that lesson with my kids, especially when they get to like 19 and it's a whole nother war battlefield of glory and splendor and loveliness. Yes. So today we're going to talk about that. So we're going to start... This journey on discovering what warfare we should be engaged in. So we're going to start at the beginning. And we're going to go through the whole Bible, page by page, this morning. Or at least until my stomach says to stop. We're going to start Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So God had told Adam and Eve, Hey, you can eat anything. Just don't eat the tree of good and evil, right? The knowledge of good and evil. Yes? Yes. Read your Bible? Okay, good. See, God was saying, hey, if you eat of it, you're going to die. Which means, if you don't eat of it, you're not going to die. And it's not a warfare you have to fight. Death is something you don't have to fight. Something, death is not warfare you're going to have to participate in. It's unnecessary. But Eve let the serpent keep talking. This is verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, he's really good at speaking half-truths. Because when he said, you will, not, you will not certainly die, in her present state, that was true. She hadn't eaten of the fruit. She wasn't going to die. But he manipulated it as though if you do this, you'll still live. She didn't know death. She didn't know anything would change. And then he says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Which is a true statement. Yes? Right? So he'll tell you half-truths to get you to engage in warfare that you are not supposed to be a part of. He's saying... To her, it's necessary for you to eat this. It's necessary for your eyes to be opened, and for you to be like God and know good and evil. He's saying this warfare is for you. This is for you. This is what you should go after. He comes to convince them that the warfare is needed to be engaged. And as we know this story, Adam and Eve chooses to engage the unnecessary warfare that they were never called to engage, because they were never called to engage good versus evil. But they engaged in an unnecessary warfare. And we know this story what happens. They eat it, they realize they're naked. God comes into the garden, and they hide from him for the first time ever. Because see, there's consequences to engaging in unnecessary warfare. And so God comes, has a conversation with them. You can go back and read that. But at the very end, he closed them. and says this, verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now they've engaged in a warfare they were never intended to be in. There's always a price. Engaging in unnecessary warfare costs you something. A price you didn't need to pay. It was a price Adam and Eve did not need to pay. But they chose to engage in something unnecessary. So let's look at Jesus and Peter. So now... Gone out of the garden. History's gone by. Jesus is now on the scene. So we can all take a breath. Can we all take a breath? (sighs) Because Jesus made it so much easier for people. Read your Bible. He didn't. So Jesus is with his disciples. They're at the Last Supper. And Judas has been revealed that he's going to betray him. He's gone. They've done the supper. Jesus is talking. Right before they leave, Jesus says something very interesting. This is Luke 22, verse 36. He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he, has num- and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. So they're leaving. They're about to go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And Jesus said, Hey, get some swords. And the disciples, Hey, we got two. And now they're getting excited. I I can kind of see it as... You know, I have three boys. If they're around weapons, they get excited. Luckily, they're plastic or styrofoam. They still hurt, but they get excited. And the disciples here are like, hey, we got swords. Woo, swords. We get to carry swords. See, Jesus never said anything like this before. He always talked about the opposite, laying your life down, giving your freedom away, giving your rights away. And now Jesus is saying, get your sword. And to them, it's like, hey, it's battle time. It's time we get to go cut off some heads. They've been waiting for this. Because they thought Jesus was going to be, become bring a rebellion against the Romans. So this is what, this is their moment. This is their mindset. This is their moment. We get to go kill something. So they go up to the Mount of Olives. They pray. Jesus has encounters there. They have encounters. They're done. And now Judas has come with the Romans to arrest Jesus. So you get the picture. Jesus isn't ignorant, he knows what's coming. But his disciples are juiced. They are finally, we get to do something. So, this is John 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kindred Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who prayed, betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So, Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So here comes this mob with torches, weapons, coming to confront Jesus and his disciples. And this wasn't just some group just coming peacefully, Oh, we're just going to go up there. We're going to talk to Jesus. We're going to arrest him and walk him back. No. They were coming for war. That's why they brought soldiers with weapons. You got you to understand the context of what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples are being confronted with war, they're there to fight. They're there for warfare. And it's in their faces. And the disciples are like, Ooh, we have swords. I'm so glad Jesus said to grab the swords. So that is the environment that they're in. The soldiers are ready for battle. And warfare is knocking on the door and in the face of the disciples. And this is verse 10. Then Simon Peter. Oh, blessed Peter. This this is just a real side note. This is just how my mind works. This story, the telling of this event, is in all the Gospels. All the other Gospels, they don't mention Peter. They just said one of the disciples did this. But John, who I am... Falling so in love with the more and more I read John. He always takes every opportunity to just kind of needle Peter a little bit. Their relationship must have been amazing. Because in John, he he never calls himself John. He refers to him as the disciple Jesus loved. And he always makes sure and mentions Peter... When he sticks his foot in his mouth. Love John. It's amazing. He's one of my guys. But there we go. Back, back to it. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Peter's ready for battle. Warfare's right in front of him. It's screaming. It's in his face. It's challenging him. And Jesus had give them, told him to get a sword. Why would Jesus tell me to get a sword? So I, this is my moment. This is it. I'm Peter. I get to lead. The, I'm going to be the first one. These other disciples are going to follow me. It's going to be written that they followed me in this fight. I was the first one to strike. Yes. It was a just cause. They were coming to arrest an innocent man. It was a just cause. It was a righteous cause in front of them. So Peter took advantage of it. See, Peter was looking at what was in front of him with his natural eyes. This is our moment to rebel against the Romans. That's what he did. This is Jesus' response, though. I'm going to flip over to Matthew because he goes in a little bit more detail of what he said in his response. And this is Matthew 26:52. He said, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way. See, Jesus understood unnecessary warfare. He goes, Peter, put it away. What, what's wrong with you? That's how I would have said it. Like, what is wrong with you? And you can imagine Peter's like, what? Wait a minute. You told me to get a sword. Swords are for cutting they're there to kill something. Why would you tell me to get that and now tell me to put it away? And Jesus says, "Hey, look, if I wanted this to be war. You think I'm going to use you? I got over I can call on over 12 legions of angels. And you with your one swords you think that's what I'm going to do? Do you understand how many 12 legions of angels is? A legion is anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000. So 12 legions at minimum would be 36,000 angels to 72,000. And he said, I have more than 12. So that's only if 12 showed up. And we all know it It probably would only take one angel To deal with them. But Jesus is saying, This is unnecessary. Peter, this is unnecessary. This is not the battle to fight. Yeah, I understand. It's raging in front of you, it's unjust, it's unrighteous. But this isn't the battle for us. This isn't the warfare for us. Because Jesus knew the ultimate warfare. Was for him to go to the cross. That was the battle to fight. That was the warfare to engage for the redemption of the world. And he wasn't going to be distracted by a few soldiers in front of him. But Peter couldn't see that. He can only see the battle raging in front of him. And how often does the enemy rage in front of you so you don't actually see the true battle? When we engage in unnecessary warfare, we have to engage it in our own power, not Jesus. See, Peter engaged in the unnecessary warfare, and he was only able to cut off an ear. I think we don't realize he wasn't trying to cut off an ear. He was trying to cut the guy's head off. He wasn't so skilled with a sword. I'll just take a little shave off the side of the head. Oh, he was trying to cut the guy's head off. And he was lucky enough to nick the ear. But that's what happens when we engage in unnecessary warfare. We might cut an ear off. But we don't get anywhere. Because it's not our warfare to fight. It's not the war we're supposed to be in. And Peter got an ear. But that was it. He missed the giant head in front of them and Jesus see he didn't engage in that warfare cuz he didn't think he could win he knew he could win that warfare but it would have cost them the ultimate victory because it wasn't what god was calling them to fight he kept his eyes on the necessary warfare going to the cross. Because there is times that warfare is necessary. Right? Yes? But we can't get caught up in the unnecessary. When we get caught up in the unnecessary, that we don't accomplish the necessary that we're called to. So I want to look at Caleb, real quick. He's one of my heroes in the Bible. It's not a lot in there, but it's powerful. Um, so Joshua had led the children of Israel across the Jordan. They were taking the promised land. And they were at the point where he started dividing up the land through the tri- to the tribes. And Caleb comes to Joshua. At this point, he's 85 years old. And he reminds Joshua... That he was one of the 12 that went and spied out the land and gave a good report. And that the other one screwed it up. He's like, hey, I gave a good report. The other ones are the ones that screwed everything up for us. Just a reminder. Just, I, It's not all about me. But you know, we wandered for 40 years. That was them. I'm the one that good report. So this is Joshua 14.9. Pick it up. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. I thought that would be the easy part to read. And that your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard them. That the Anakites were there and were cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive out just as he said. Caleb's going to Joshua and say, Hey, it's wartime. This is my battle. This is what I'm called to. But it was forty-five years after the promise. For those forty Five years, it was unnecessary warfare. But now, it was time to fight for the promise. It took 45 years for his warfare to become necessary. One of the reasons he's one of my heroes is because most of us, including me, if God promises something, if it doesn't happen in five minutes... I'm like, God, where are you? You promised me this. Why don't I have this already? Or we grab our swords and start hacking for it. Right? We start hacking for our promises. And we never actually got the plan on how we're going to get that promise. We need to fight for the promises God gave us. And for 45 years, Caleb did. But he did it by staying battle ready he didn't go to the hill country and continue to fight them for 45 years but he stayed battle ready he said i i'm in the same shape i was 45 years ago i was ready for a battle then i'm still ready for it now and it's time god is saying it's time to fight this is a battle worth fighting So he stayed ready, he stayed strong, and he held on to the promise, and he warred with those promises where he was at. He stayed still, but in a ready position. How many of us get lazy with our promises, and eventually we just say, well, eventually it'll happen, but I'm going to move on to something else? Caleb stayed laser focused on his promise. And he's like, that is my battlefield. That is my warfare. I'm not to engage it yet. Until the time, until God says, yeah, now's the time. Are we willing to stay ready? For battle of our promises and wait on the Lord to say yes go for it so how do we stay ready Ephesians 6:10 Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme Paul is saying be ready be ready But ready for what? What are we supposed to be ready for? Well, Paul is awesome. In the next verse, he gives that answer. Aren't you glad that? He didn't just leave us hanging. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Let me try that over here. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. See, Peter thought it was. And all he accomplished was taking the ear off. That's it. See, Paul is encouraging us to be ready for the fight. But we don't fight against flesh and blood. But it's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me give you a practical application to this. See, in our world, there's a lot of things raging. Yes? But we don't war against people. We don't war against politicians. We don't war against political parties. We war against principalities. We war against the demonic principalities and powers that are in the heavenly realms. So, how do we war against death? How do we, in the heavenlies, war against something that takes life. See, abortion is a real issue right now in our country, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, doesn't matter what side you believe on it politically. It's a big issue. Mm -hmm. But we don't war against abortion with people. Paul says you war against it in the heavenlies. So we war against the demonic spirit, the demonic principality that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what we war against. And it's a fight worth fighting. Because we're warring against principalities that want to take life. And Jesus came to give life. So that's how we war against abortion. Is in the heavenlies. Our warfare happens in the heavenlies. Our love happens against flesh and blood. So we war with abortion, we war against it in the heavenlies. And we love the people that are in circumstances. That they're trying to choose whether life or death. And we love on those. We love on doctors. We love on the little girl that now has a baby growing in her and was conceived through horrific circumstances. But it's still life. And there's principalities that want to take that life. And that life is just as valuable as one that is conceived through a choice. But we as the church have to love on those that are in those circumstances. And we do that in the flesh. And maybe there's a way to do this. I I don't know it. So please... Give me a little leeway here. I don't know if you can love in the heavenlies. Just in this context. Love is an action. I'm not saying you can't do that because with God anything is possible. So, But God created us as humans to love people. And through that, love has to be demonstrated. So we have to love through our actions. So get involved. Figure out a way to love those women and girls that are in situations that they need love. Alpha is a great organization. They love them from conception, through birth... After birth, they are a tangible way to love on a community that is crying out to be loved, no matter what their circumstances is. It's up to you. I was going to mention it, but if you want, yeah, come on. (laughs) So, this is
1: really personal. And I asked Ryan today what he was speaking about and he said, unnecessary warfare. And I'm like, oh good, I'm off the hook because um, I felt like he was saying, I was supposed to briefly tell my story. I had no idea he was going here. Um, almost 50 years ago, um, I was pregnant and had my first child, Jeremy. And that same year is when Roe versus Wade was decided. So for almost 50 years, I've lived with um, hope and warfare. I, I remember asking the Lord, I'm holding my son, and I'm like, God, what will our culture and our society look like in the future when we as a nation have decided that children are only valuable if they're convenient? What will be the result? What will our communities look like? What will crime look like? What will politics look like? What will our world look like when we have decided as a nation that children are only valuable when they're convenient? So 50 years, I've done my warfare that way. Of praying and battling in the heavens, but loving people. When this decision came down, and um, one of the commentators used as an illustration a a political figure that is pro-life, and she said very snidely, yeah, but I wonder what his stance would be if one of his daughters was impregnated by rape or incest. He would surely change his tune. And I remember sitting there in front of the TV like, oh, my God, please let that not be true. And I think it's time to really decide as a people... Do we believe life is precious because it's convenient or because it's a life, a creation of God? Because many of you know my birth mother was a 12-year-old that was raped and raped and impregnated by a family member. So she gave birth to me as a result Of rape and incest. So you have a um, credible witness in front of you. A child is precious and a gift of God no matter how it begins. But as Ryan said, our warfare is in the heavenlies, and our love is for people. Our compassion is for people. And for, for moms that have made that choice, that we reach out, and we love, and we show compassion. Compassion.
0: in a few minutes we're going to pray for people that that need life in their life that have situations that need new life in or kids that you need new life with and we're going to do that here in a minute but how, how do we how do we know What war to fight. There's a lot of battles out there. There's a lot of things. That you can engage in in warfare. And they're good causes. But what is God calling you to fight for? And how do we know which one to. To go to war for. For in the heavenlies. This is John sixteen thirteen. It says but when he the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. It really is this simple. Ask the Holy Spirit. Before you engage in warfare, ask the Holy Spirit Is this what I'm called to fight? Or is this unnecessary for me? Now the person sitting next to you, it could be very necessary for, but for you it might not be. So that is why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Let him be your guide. He will let you know what warfare to engage in and what is unnecessary. Let him make the decision. For far too long, we've let ourselves make the decision instead of letting the Holy Spirit make the decision. And then when we make the decision ourselves and we get in the middle of it, we go, oh, dear Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, bail me out. And he loves us so much, he still bails us out. And he goes, would you have just asked me? If you would have just asked me, you could have avoided it all. So why don't you stand with me. Um, worship team, come on up. And why don't you start with how you started this morning. Okay? And then go into whatever else after that. But I felt like it was important to wrap up this morning with reading Ephesians six, ten through 18 over us. And I would really encourage you this week to dive into it. It's about the armor of God and what it's for and how we can cooperate with it. Because again, we fight against principalities in the heavenlies. And we love flesh and blood. So just get into a receiving mode as I read this over us. Open your ears to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying. This is verse 10. with which you can exhaust all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the the Lord's people. Holy Spirit, teach us how to put the full armor of God on. Teach us what every piece is for and how to be ready. Through Paul, you say to stand. continue to stand stand firm and the way we stand is to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests so Holy Spirit teach us how to war in the heavenlies How to love people, how to love flesh and blood.
2: Let's adore him for a minute.
0: Let's just take a moment right now, and let's press into him. this morning if you've never known this Jesus that gives life he's in the room right now for you he's here to give you life or if you need life in your body you have something going on in your body and you need life breathing to your body invite you to come right now if you have, or if you're life circumstance that needs life breathed into it I encourage you to come because the, the life giver is in the room so I just encourage you to come down front because we want to pray with you we want to re- release life over you So, if there's something you need life for, come. So, Jesus, we come before you saying, We need you. We need life. We need something resurrected. You are that resurrection life. So we come to you this morning, asking for life. That you touch that area of our life that needs to be reborn. That needs to be regenerated. speak to those dead places with life no longer be dead places but places of life because he is the giver of life he came and gave his life so that you can have life So Holy Spirit, sweep through this altar area right now and bring that refreshing honey that brings life. We tap into you, Jesus, this morning. If I can have some ministry team minister to these up front. Raymond Turb teams if you can go to your spots stay engaged for just two more minutes go on this journey with the Holy Spirit what is unnecessary and what's necessary warfare? Most of the time, the one that's the loudest in front of you is not what you're supposed to engage, it's what's behind it. But the only the Holy Spirit can re- open your eyes to that. So go on a journey with the Holy Spirit dive into Ephesians 6 this week and go love somebody that you've never loved on before. Go show them that Jesus gives life through you this week. Go love this week and war in the heavenlies love you have a great week those altars are open if you need prayer this morning go get your dream interpreted we'll see you back here next week for a powerful time